The Kinky Boys Podcast. Exploring one kink at a time. Hello and welcome to the Kinky Boys Podcast. I'm Craig. And I'm Arthur. And today uh, we are... Uh, answering listener mail. Thought that would be a nice change of pace. Um, we've had people writing in, and some of them are fascinating. Yes, our listeners and their mail. Uh, uh, so yeah, before we get to that, I think I should say, we the Kinky Boys podcast now has a Patreon. It's been great. We have two tiers. One is our cash tip, which is like a pound or dollar, depending on where you live. And that gets you access to our episodes a week early. And... We also have a $5 uh, tier, and that will get you thanked um, at the end of the show as a show sponsor. We already have one, so I'd like to thank Matthew O'Mara for your support. You make the show possible, and thank you very much for supporting a starving podcast creator. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. I've seen pictures of us, Craig. I don't think we can really say, honestly, we're starving. (laughs) Well, I need to maintain my bearish figure, okay? Yeah, I, I did that yesterday with two hamburgers, chocolate shake, and fries. <laughs> so, yeah, these are fascinating. Uh, shall we start with, I think, Tristan's questions about gimps and Leatherman? Sure thing. Well, we should probably read the letter out first. Uh, I've got it in front of me. Do you want me to read this one, or do you want to read uh, this one? If you'd like to read this one. Uh, Certainly. Uh, Allow me to get my big radio voice on. So, hey, smiley face, just listened to your first episode and it was really good. Another smiley face. Do you think you'd ever have an episode that talks about rubber gimps and drones and stuff and where that stemmed from, etc.? And like old guard DNS relationships, like why tops used to just wear leather and their gimps slash slaves wore rubber, more so in America. Yeah, I mean, there's several points here, like like the whole thing of gimps and drones, I find very interesting. Drone play definitely seems to be taking off right now. It is the hot new thing. And I've noticed a lot of puppies uh, sort of phasing into sort of drone slash gimp play of late. Yeah, the brainwashing into a, a rubber dog yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting to see how gimp has evolved into drone. Because they both come from the same sort of central idea of sort of a certain removal of humanity. When you dress up as a gimp, your distinctive features are covered and you're sort of a more blank, doll-like look to yourself. And this, like, can reinforce the idea and feeling of being an object, um, being less than human, being essentially a sex toy to use, um, and just sort of reinforce that as a sub-status. Yeah, there's a certain degree also of not having to deal with conscious thought, working purely on instinct and lust and programming. I think these are really appealing themes in this day and age because, let's face it, we're awash in information. We have access to more information than any generation previously on this planet. And it can be overwhelming, especially when so much of that input to our brains is negative. And so... The idea of becoming a mindless, objectified sex drone also bears some appeal because that also means you don't have to think about complicated or disturbing things. You submit to your master 
you submit to his programming. I actually have uh, one of my partners, um, my slave, Cyberwolf, up in Canada, whom I'm mm-hmm. going to be visiting this summer. He's very much into that and very much for those reasons. He has severe anxiety around the news, um, really bad anxiety. And so when he's in gear and he's in a scene where we're you know, doing a, a type of a programming scene or converting him into a drum type of a scene, that's how he gets his mind to sort of shut off and stop the anxiety because it is sort of the goal is to be somewhat mindless and in the moment. Yeah, and it it can really help bring you down into the subspace, just that sort of hyper focus. And again, a lot of your senses are dull. Um, whether it's wearing full coverage rubber over your face or gas masks are quite popular, it really blocks literally blocks out the world in all senses. It's a protective skin in a sense. And it, it, it blocks out some external stimuli, yes. But also another important dimension is that the rubber itself has its own set of sensations of clinging to your skin, of moving across it, um, you know, feeling every little glide and every little motion. So it, it simultaneously shuts out external input to a degree, but also amps up a lot of types of internal input you know, inside the suit, what you're experiencing. Yeah, and it, I mean, I found it quite fascinating how, I mean, especially for gimp play, a lot of people went for the sort of classic gas masks that you get, a lot a lot of sort of World War Two styles, which I'm going to be honest, I find inherently disturbing. I've always found gas masks freaky and <laughs> like one thing coming into the kink community is, Learning to be okay around people wearing gas masks and that sort of stuff uh, was something I had to really work on because I find them inherently terrifying because they're that sort of uncanny valley of they've got certain features of the human face, but they are very, in general, inhuman. You know, I don't think that was ever an, an issue for me, but I will say that gas masks sort of clicked more for me as a fetish once people started modifying them in ways that made them seem less like sort of a generic appliance and more like something tailored to a persona or a suit or some sort of intentional representation. So I'll give an example. Uh, there's a company, well, company, it's, it's you know, uh, sort of a, a one-man band uh, called Wild Gas Masks. I don't know if they're still in business, but they used to do horse head gas masks. They used to do uh, feline gas masks. Um, just a number of like really beautifully sculpted rubber gas masks. Wow. Where you know there's the underlying me- yeah there's the underlying mechanism of the filter. They have lenses, but it's clearly sculpted to be animalistic. And there's actually a picture of me. I think it's on my recon profile. I don't know if that's up and running at the moment as I've been sort of off again, on again on there. But there's a picture of me in a full neoprene suit wearing a rubber horse head. And that rubber horse head is actually a gas mask from Wild Gas Masks that I was borrowing from a friend for a party. That sounds awesome. It's like... Yeah, they're... I was going to say, say, they're very popular around the San Francisco Bay Area with the furries out there. That's how I was first introduced. That's what I was going to say. Of course, it comes back to the furries. (laughs) It always does, doesn't it? We're everywhere. Creative and (laughs) into stuff. Uh, I was going to say, one of the interesting things between moving from, like, gimp play to drones is 
a lot of drones very much go for the it's a firefighter's mask and i think the australia uh, israeli army gas mask the current one don't quote me on that i'm trying to remember off the top of my head where it's literally just like a sheet of glass or a sheet of plastic and they tint them to well be the darker. new so it looks like you've just got a perfectly smooth like helmet on well the, the new popular thing I was made aware of. And I was only made aware of it when a friend said, hey, you've got a 3D printer, right? And I went, yeah, I I know how this begins. It ends with, can you print me something? And he said, yeah, uh, I have an S10 gas mask. And there is actually a model online for lens covers that just clip right on. You just 3D print them and you can do a complete blackout sensory deprivation thing just by sort of clipping these 3D printed plates over the eyes. So I made him a couple and I, I brought him out to uh, Texas. I was going out there for a convention, going to be seeing him anyway. So I brought them for him and we tested them out. They snap into place perfectly. So the S10 in a way kind of has a model quality to it that suddenly has made it a lot more appealing too. Oh yeah. I mean, there's always been that thing of modding the gas filter itself to basically carry poppers. Well, there's there's that too. Uh, you know, little capsules put in place of where normally the filter canister would be. Um, hoses mm. for rebreathing. Hoses are a popular modification. Um, there's all kinds of... We could probably do an entire show just on gas masks. we should. That would be a good idea for a future one. We should. We should also uh, get some of the, uh, you know, more clever manufacturers on here to, to talk about their inspiration, how they make things, future projects. We, we should add that to the notes. I think that's the notes. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. One of the things um, Tristan brings up in the letter is uh, where did this start? And I have to say, I've been trying to look and look and look, and I can't really find a specific point where this grew from. Well, and I, I think... Some of it is also subjective as well, because, you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a child of the 80s, born in the 70s. So I've actually seen a lot of the leather community, you know, over the years. You know, I remember being exposed to that, uh, say, suboptimal Al Pacino film Cruisin', which had its own sort of funhouse view of what the leather scene was like. Uh, not cool funhouse, more like scary Halloween funhouse view. And. You know, you look at that film, which is sort of straight people trying to parse out what the gay leather scene was like, and everyone's in leather gear unanimously everywhere, and it's all very sort of similar and generic throughout the film. And then, you know, you move into the modern era, and you start to see more realistic depictions, and you see an acknowledgement that BDSM isn't just a gay thing. Like, it kind of blew me away that Gerald's game got made into a... uh a Netflix style movie. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Gerald's game, it is a Stephen King horror novel about a BDSM scene gone wrong, where basically a man is, is cuffing his wife to the headboard as part of a BDSM scene. And he dies partway through the scene. And the entire horror novel is about this woman in the submissive position in handcuffs in a room in the middle of nowhere with no help coming who has to kind of figure out what the heck she's going to do to survive and get out. So usual light, fluffy bedtime reading from yeah, Stephen King. Yeah, pretty horrific. But, uh, he's, he knows where to get you where you live. But this is also a mainstream film now. You know, BDSM has become a mainstream thing for many different things, like the, the television show Preacher. 
We now have a rubber Dalmatian who I, I think was probably inspired by Zentai Spot, who's a recurring character. Um, you know, I think that it's it's all about the more you come into the present, the more you begin to see different types of gear and an acknowledgement that there's like a wide range of fetish gear. I think that it's it's kind of perception based and I think it's Arabic. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think back to my first ones and they were both... Uh, one was a horror movie, one was an action movie with a horror scene. So you, of course, had uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, with the sadomasochistic gym coach that you see in a leather bar, in leathers. And I have to say, that gave me some fun after-hours thoughts <laughs> when I was younger. And the other <laughs> one was, um, which loops it back to the whole gimp thing, which was, oh, the Quentin Tarantino movie. You know, and with me, my earliest BDSM inspirations when I was very little came from like sources that most people would go, "Oh, that's innocent." It's like Flash yeah. Gordon. That it's that's Batman like and Robin, be, Robin part of Robin being tied up on Batman and Robin. Yeah, well, in in my case, the the one that really affected me was uh, the New Adventures of Flash Gordon because a it had anthropomorphic animal people in there. So there was Prince Thun, the Lion Man, who was always running around in a loincloth and who had manacles he couldn't take off. And they were always getting into some bizarre and oddly arousing uh, bondage situation, like plants with tentacles trying to like bind them up and eat them and other stuff. Uh, I, I think you can check off the BDSM and furry boxes just from that one show alone. Oh, yeah. Like, like so many fetishes just come from really innocuous stuff from childhood one thing i think we should get back to the letter is um his asking about why tops wear leather and or used to wear leather and subs exclusively wore rubber now i don't think this was exclusively the case but i do think it was much more seen as sort of a certain norm in the older school leather subs. well it depends because if you go back to the old school leather code it used to be that leather and rubber just don't mix, don't wear the, the same, you know, two things together, don't wear leather and rubber at the same time. And there was also kind of that mindset where if the dom's in one type of gear, the sub should be in the other. So I don't know that I've, I've observed that historically, but I've definitely seen more mixed gear as the years have gone on and the old guard strictures have loosened. Um, the old guard was really kind of rigid about what you wore, how you wore it, when you wore it, and with whom you wore it. Um, and as time went on, I think that's kind of gone away. And I think that's a good thing because it has allowed people to sort of open up and do what feels right for them and what sort of gets there hot to boiling or whatever you want to say without worrying about conformity with a set of arbitrary rules. Oh, yeah. But I do think there is something else to it, which is leather and rubber inspire very different sort of mindsets and sensations in me. And what I mean is mm. leather is far more sort of what I'd describe as a hard masculine erotic energy, where it's very much almost like, especially when you've got like the bluff gear on the big, thick, hard leathers, like top, biker jacket, that it, it's almost like an armor it's like you're going into battle um, and it has much more of an aggressive dominant feel, whereas rubber, because it's almost like a second skin, 
it enhances the sensation on your skin and covers you completely and restricts you. It's a far more sensual sort of eroticism. And I can see those fitting yeah, and- more sort of leather into the dom mindset and rubber into the sub mindset just because of the sensations they produce and sort of the visuals. Well, that's that's sort of cultural, too. Mm. For a very long time in America, leather was the dominant fetish and rubber was more, you know, maybe you meet a couple of guys who are into it, but that's like mostly and over in Europe and especially Germany thing. And then I think this was another one of those cases where the Internet sort of opened up new horizons and people began going, well, if over there, why not here? And I think that's hot. So why don't I do it? I think that, you know, culture in America, leather was associated with biker culture. It it is associated with people who are bigger, tougher, stronger, alpha male types. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had that sort of sort of American appeal. You know, we we do fetishize our our bikers over in this country. But, you know, the the rubber scene, I would say it's really just gotten much bigger in this country since like the early 2000s. So I, I think when I really sort of took note and went, you know, this is this is catching on. Oh yeah, it, how the rubber scene has changed has been really interesting to see because I remember people used to complain because they would always get turned away from club doors if they weren't wearing just black rubber and at a stretch with red lining anything colorful or interesting or sort of non-industrial looking was turned away It, it it depended on the bar too like the boston ramrod used to be when it still existed before it got sort of eaten by the dance club in the in the basement um they used to have a very strict rigid dress code which was either you're wearing this type of gear or this type of gear, or you take off your shirt and wear jeans. You go in and you don't have like higher end gear or you just don't get in at all. And they even went so far in, in later years toward, you know, the end of their reign to have a pictorial guide. They drew out pictures of people in different types of gear standing together with sort of yes, maybe and never type categories. So it, it's always been it's always been subject to the prejudices and preferences of whichever venue is hosting people in gear. Yeah, I'm always of two minds. On the one hand, I think being inclusive is a really good thing to be, um, and especially these days, you know, kink gear in general is expensive, and you know, especially younger guys or gals or non-binary pals, you know, will struggle to get leather gear or rubber gear and i think that's part of the reason why like lycra gear has taken off so much is because it's cheap you can get it for a tenner off um, well you wish app or ebay <laughs> well if you don't mind going with lower quality leather too ebay has just opened up all kinds of horizons i have a set of puppy mitts around here that i bought for like less than half the cost of the really nice mr s ones that i bought for my husband it's just the ones i bought for my husband are made out of kick-ass leather and are stitched so well they'll no doubt last until the heat death of the universe whereas the ones i got off ebay even like the buckles are a little bit on the budget side it's just they're cheap and they're handy and you can take them to scenes and if something bad happens to them you're like eh, whatever i'll just buy another pair yeah it's like uh i experiment a lot with the sort of cheap five dollar ten dollar chastity cages that are basically poor quality metal or really cheap plastic 
And I buy them just so I can know which mod... Because they're always rip-offs of real models. But I've gotten results. Yeah, and I, I just buy them to try them out to see which one I could wear comfortably long-term. And then I invest my money in the proper product, which will be high quality and not likely to break or disfigure or irritate. Now, here's the thing, though. I just had a sub over literally yesterday whom I had in chastity for 99 days. So first off, kudos to him. We could have made it 100. But the other thing was that chastity cage I had on him, and we've been using that one for a while now, that's one of the really cheap ones from China, and it has held up better than a lot of the expensive ones. Now, you know, is it cheap steel? Does it have a tendency to sometimes discolor skin, et cetera, et cetera? Yes. Which is why if you want to do something like find a way to line it with acrylic or whatever else, that might be a, you know, a wise idea depending on the materials. But I've been surprised at how much the cheapest chastity cages seem to be the ones that fit people the best and are the most comfortable. Interesting. Ah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's worth noting also that a lot of these chastity cages that are appearing on eBay, some of them have components I am not comfortable testing. And one of those components is some of them actually have tubes meant for urethral insertion long term. This is one thing I will say is when it comes to cheap stuff, never invest in anything that goes inside your body. Yes. Agreed. Because my concern was always, yeah, you could have a skin reaction. Yeah, there could be chemicals too there. But what about issues of like sanitation and preventing UTIs? It, it, there were just a lot of things that set off alarm bells in my head about those designs, so I stay well yeah, clear of yeah, those. Like butt plugs are notorious for um, not being medical grade silicone and actually often just being crappy plastic, which is terrible. And like metal butt plugs um, being nickel plated, they're chips, which you don't want inside your body, obviously. Uh, yeah, so like kink gear disposables that sort of stuff great to go cheap um like uh, nipple suction cups like they're 25 to 40 quid in the local sex shops around london they are like a fiver for a pack of four off ebay and they're exactly the same sort of quality like it's a no-brainer there you know and getting back to the metal butt plugs there's one in particular i've seen on ebay that's meant for bdsm purposes and every time i see it i'm like that's hot and I don't trust that thing any farther than I can hurl it with my pinky finger after spraining it. And that is, it's a metal butt plug, and it has a, um, you know, a point at the end, a loop that you can secure to, you know, some type of restraint yeah, point. Yeah, I know the type. And the plug is meant to rotate open. It sort of opens like a flower once it's inserted to make sure it can't be pulled out. And I just went through all the scenarios in my head. What if that mechanism breaks? What if a piece of the mechanism breaks off inside you? What if the key doesn't work? Because I have had some cheap chastity devices from China where just standard corrosion just reduced the lock to nothing and it seized up. Um, there were just so many concerns around that. I'm like, it's a hot concept. I can think of any number of health and safety issues around it that give me real pause. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You have to be smart, but so anything internal, but I think complex, try and not get the cheap stuff. I mean, I remember I actually looked for a cheap knockoff of a blacks, the black styles hood, which again ties into the gimp play because yeah. it's like this molded facial feature mask in pure black silicon. 
and mm. they there was a Chinese sort of product knockoff of it, which looked really bad. Like the features were all out of proportion. The eyes were really roughly cut. You could like see the jagged edges of the lines. Yeah, but Chinese goods are cheap for a reason. And that's because quality control is one of the first things that goes out the window. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm waiting to install a part on my 3D printer that I just ordered from China. And all the ads on Amazon very proudly announced there was no instruction manual. And I'm like, really? For a drive mechanism? No manual at all. I have to guess how this goes together and hope I don't torque up my printer. They cut corners in key places you would not want folks yeah. to cut corners. Uh, so, yeah, I hope that oh. answers some of your... I know we deviated a bit at the end there, but Tristan, I hope this answers some of your questions. And I think we will be returning to stuff like Gimp Play, like to do an in-depth dive. If any of our listeners listening right now think they can talk authority like you've had experience and it's something that you're majorly into... Feel free to drop us a line. Uh, we have the Kinky Boys podcast email or Twitter or Facebook. And we would love to have you on the show to do a deep dive into this with someone who knows more about it than us. Um, until then, I hope, Tristan, this answers your question. And uh, I guess that brings us on to our next letter. Do you want to be the, the one to read sure. that one? So, yeah. Our next letter comes from Ray, and this is a bit of a longer one. And Ray is a Luna, which is someone who uh, has a fetish revolving around inflatable balloons. Um, he writes, Hey there, guys. I hope you're both doing great. I'm a 29-year-old gay guy from Johannesburg, South Africa. I've recently come across the Kinky Boys podcast and absolutely love it. The way the podcast tackles and explains a wide variety of topics, both in an entertaining and informative way, is fantastic. There are very f various fetishes that are mentioned in the podcast, and I thought I'd let you know a bit about mine, as it's quite unique and I haven't heard anyone else mention it on the podcast before. For some reason, seeing a man pop a balloon or two is the ultimate turn-on for me. Just normal party balloons. I have no idea why this is, other than the fact that I am quite terrified of bursting balloons myself. But, to describe my attraction, whenever I go to a gay club or bar, I would go with some balloons in my back pocket. After a drink or two, I'd go down to the toilet, and lock the cubicle, and I'd blow up one or two of the balloons. I'd then hold them, and as I walk back to my table, just drop them on the floor, as nonchalantly as possible. Around the bar area, I'd then watch them carefully, and I see a man just stomp on them, having a bit of fun, or kicking up to pop it with his cigarette or hands. I usually come immediately in my pants, without touching myself at all. This is something I've had published online under pseudonym, and if you're interested at all, it's at, he gives a link, which I'll put in the show notes. It's a very informative blog post, I will say. Uh, he continues to write, I know this is a very weird fetish, but for some reason seeing men, only men, burst balloons is a great turn on. Naturally, I'm very self-conscious about this aspect of my sexuality. With all my previous boyfriends, I would stage events to satisfy some of my fetishes. They would happen to use a balloon or two in my car when I pick them up or something of that sort. My current long-term partner is one of the first people I've come out to about this, and he finds it quite fun. He's constantly entertaining me on the odd occasion that we do have fun with another guy or two who would blow up quite a few balloons around the house. I'd let the guys know about the fetish beforehand, and if they're up to it, they'd come over, we'd hang out, and they'd pop some of the balloons around and we'd have a lot of fun together. Anyway, sorry about the lengthy email, just wanted to get in touch. And again, thanks for the awesome podcast. 
all the best, Ray. So yeah, I found this fascinating. Ray in the um, letter and further in the blog post he links to is very good at describing the mechanism by which he finds it a turn on. Yeah, and this is a fetish I'd actually seen um, previously in the pages of Bear magazine. Um, there was a model who used to pose for Bear named Buster, and I believe he's still online as Buster Balloon Guy. But uh, he's a, you know, rather built, muscular leather man who really gets off on balloons and the popping aspect, too. He also likes his to be oversized, and he does a lot of body contact with them, a little bit of thrusting, which I think may tie into the popping dimension. Um, but it is a fetish that you don't hear a lot about often, but it is one that I hear about periodically. Yeah, it's... And I know uh, within the lunar community, there is this big divide between people that just enjoy the sensation of feeling balloons, like inflating, feeling them against the skin, and people that get off on popping. I imagine <clears throat> those two could be at odds. Oh, yeah. And it's... you could, Lots of the mechanism for the people that enjoy popping them, it's a lot around tension, like the build-up and release of tension. Yeah, like a yeah, horror movie. Sort of like that, or going up a roller coaster where it's like, you know it's going to happen, and it's like building and building and building until it there's this big release of the pop. Like, the thing is, I feel that way around balloons, but I don't... Obviously it's not sexualized, but it is that sort of tension of, it's going to pop, it's going to pop, oh god, it's popped, sort of thing. And I, I think that's where the release comes from as well. Um you know, when you are afraid or experiencing a fear reaction, obviously your brain is dumping a lot of adrenaline. And then that sort of last burst you get when the balloon itself pops is probably a fairly arousing thing if you focus on it. So it's easy to understand biologically where the mechanism comes in, too. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I love how fun this one is. Like, I always enjoy a fetish that yeah. is just outright fun on its own, even without the sexual aspects. And like, just playing about with balloons is one of those sort of inherently joyful things you can do. Yeah, you know, it's... It, I'm going to use a weird metaphor here. It's kind of like the DC Comics versus Marvel Comics uh, deal. People always say, well, you know, I read DC Comics because it's, you know, grim and gritty. And some people say, well, I read Marvel Comics because... It's just too dark and gritty in the DC universe. It's kind of that way with fetishes. I think that there's this assumption always that fetishes and that sexual release are tied around something grim and gritty and dark and centered around, you know, a place with poor lighting. There are a lot of fetishes that are, I, I wouldn't say on the lighter side, but they're not, their origins are not quite so grim dark as some of the other fetishes. And they, the contrast is interesting because they all sort of live underneath the same umbrella of being fetishes within our community. But, you know, there's, there is sort of that light side to dark side divide on fetishes as well. Oh, yeah. Like when I talked to my partner about this episode, what we'd be talking about, he had a great anecdote about um, something he heard from like uh, sort of an experience of a woman with this fetish where she basically got enjoyed getting those sort of modeling balloons, long, thin ones, uh, putting it inside her and having her partner inflate it while it was inside her. And it was... Oh, sort of like a butt plug or yeah, dildo. I mean, she has a very specific thing, apparently, for, like, the sensation of an inflated balloon. Like, the sort of tight tension um, and the bounciness, that sort of thing. 
which I can imagine is kind of almost like voluptuous in a way, like in handling that balloon. You know, I it, it also has a lot of crossover with sort of the latex fetish. Oh yeah. You know, when you think about it, the materials that yeah, the materials balloons are made out of are very comparable to that. So I'm sure there are textural elements to that that are very appealing. Like tying it into the sort of more BDSM side, I can see popping a balloon is sort of it's, it's something I see the base brain, like the lizard brain, interpreting as something quite violent and powerful. If that makes sense? She's like just yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a sudden sensory yeah, experience. And it's sort of, you do it by exerting force and violence on a thing to just make it pop and explode. Yeah, it's it's like predator prey, but with you know. Without the gore. Fun, multicolored, <laughs> primary colored balloons. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, my friend, uh, Sir Dart, he actually talked about uh, a fellow friend of his who's into balloons. And he got invited up to play with him with a few other guys. When they got to the hotel room, it was full, like absolutely full of balloons all over the floor, all over the bed. He had spent the afternoon blowing them all up and they just basically jumped into it like it was a ball pit while they was having sex, just rolling around, bopping the balloons, all while being very sexually active. Yeah, and that was what got this guy off. You know, that is a unique experience. But at the same time, I kind of see it's almost got a playful quality to it. Yeah, and this is something I love. Like, I love playful fetishes. Yeah, I mean, not, not everyone has to be about stringing someone up in a warehouse. Although, I really like the one. Yeah. Stringing folks up. Yes. Some uh, days you to. like you strawberry, go. some days you like chocolate. It, it's true. It's true. And some days you even eat that stripe of strawberry in the middle of the Neapolitan ice cream instead of leaving it for everyone else in the house. <laughs> you, you do get Neapolitan ice cream over in, oh, yeah, in the UK, yeah, yeah. right? I, I've not had it for ages. But it... No, no, no. It's, it, it was the thing in our household where the chocolate and vanilla stripe vanished and the strawberry was just left there for whoever was left. No, 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 no. no. My thing was, you always had to take it individually from each line. My sister used to cut across it, so she would get a bit of each in one scoop, and that used to drive me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we say that, but I'm sure that at some point someone could fetishize that as well and go, do you want me to stop scraping the scoop across <laughs> all three layers? <laughs> but no, going back to the topic at hand, it's it's also really nice to hear about these fetishes that maybe don't get as much, you know, coverage. You know, they aren't as mainstream as other fetishes. Fetishes these days, thanks to the magic of the internet, tend to go in almost like fashion, where one fashion comes in and the next one replaces it. So, you know, puppy play has been the latest and, and greatest thing in that cycle, and I'm sure something else will come after it that supersedes or, or replaces that in time. But it's always good to hear about the stuff that isn't necessarily so exposed in the mainstream because it's really fascinating and interesting and creative and cool and it sort of inspires ideas about existing fetishes too. Yeah, I mean, this is the whole reason why I started this podcast, or at least a big part of it, was to learn about stuff beyond just the basic leather, boots, flogging, like actually get into the long grass and see what fantastical and fun stuff is really out there. Yeah, and and there are a lot. There are quite a lot. I live with a psychologist, so I can tell you. <laughs> there are We're a going lot. to have to get him on this show one day. I'll get um, Tony back, because he's a, a evolutionary psychologist and a few other people. And we just should have a nice roundtable discussion about kink and psychology. 
I think we should. And then we should immediately apply for an NEA grant based on that. Say, see, we're culturally relevant. But no, I, joking aside, I think that he would really love to be on this podcast as well. It's just a schedule. Yeah, sure. I mean, once things calm down, he has an open invitation. Oh, things never <laughs> calm down. We'll just, yeah. we'll find. He currently gets home around 8.30 or 9 at night. Oh, dear, job, poor so. boy. I had a great response to the last two episodes is an interview with um, the current Mr. Leather UK, Buster. And we didn't talk about any of his kinks. We talked literally about a deep dive into sort of how algorithms and property prices are affecting kink communities. And that was fascinating. And I got such huh. a great response for that. So I do want to, in the future, start branching out also into sort of like topical stuff around the kink community and psychology and sort of have more in-depth discussions around sort of deep dives as well as interviewing people about their kinks. I think that would be fantastic. I'd be up for that. Sounds brilliant. Well, um, let's see. I guess I think we kind of went over uh, Ray's uh, message. Was there anything else that we wanted to sort of examine about what he wrote before we sort of move on? Not that I can currently think of, no. I mean, I think we've pretty no. uh, covered it. If uh, Ray, if you'd like to put any more, please write us again. And again, any of our listeners, uh, we have our emails, we have Twitter, we have Facebook. They're all under Kinky Boys Podcast. Feel free to write in with your questions, requests, um, talking about your fetishes. I'd love to hear them. Yeah, and, you know, remember, this show is kind of an interactive thing as well. So don't feel bashful about, well, I don't know if they want to hear my story. We would love to hear your story. We also have a Discord. Apparently that's the thing people do now. So I have a Discord. I'm a slave to trends. <laughs> I, I mostly use it just for Conan Exiles, but sure, I can, I'm game for using it for King. <laughs> Because Conan Exiles is about one step removed from well, King. I was going to say, like, don't you, like, start off naked, chained to a rock? Uh, actually, yeah. That's why we all play the, the PC version around the house, is because the PlayStation and Xbox versions restricted full nudity. <laughs> so I was like, screw that. So uh, I, I got a server set up and I enabled full nudity. And of course, we're, you know, whenever the screen says you are, you are hot, because it's a survival <laughs> game. And if you're in the desert, you can overheat. I'm like, well, there's only one solution to that. I'll just take off all my clothes. Works like a charm in game. Oddly, only, oddly, the only thing that's wrong in the game is the genital physics. And people have pointed this out where, like, the slightest breeze will cause your dick to just flap in the breeze like a windsock at full velocity. And so I was like, okay, I know there's a mod to try and fix the physics problem. So I installed that. And that took care of the wind problem. But then I... My character's testicles would just vibrate and oscillate on their own for no discernible reason. It would literally shake back and forth when it was standing still. And I'm like, okay, disable the mod, go back to wind. Well, there's not been nearly enough time in balls and dick physics as there has been put into breast physics in video games. It's a great injustice uh, yeah, and quality true. they need to work to fix. <laughs> yeah, because... You know, I, I, I get it, guys. I, I, I get the demographic makeup of most game developers. But, you know, we, we need love. Yeah. Although it's interesting you say they restrict it on the PlayStation because at the end of Dante's Inferno, the final boss is a naked Satan hang, hung like a donkey. Like, literally. Well, now I'm going to have to go and play that game. Uh, but no, yeah, they, they restricted all of that for some reason. Um, I think it has to do with the server component, really. 
for some reason, if it's on a server, suddenly they get more bent out of shape than if it's like a single player experience. Um, and Funcom seems to be kind of down for the censorship. I, I kind of wish they weren't, but it's okay on the PC version because you have so much more control over things that major networks like the PlayStation network and, you know, the Xbox Live network can't control. And, you know, I, I would say that we enjoy the game mostly because of that. I, I'm not going to lie. It, it can get a little repetitive at times. But then you go, hey, you know, I'm, I'm also here flopping in the breeze. Yeah. So fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, we should do an episode sometime on, uh, like, sex video games. Because there's a surprisingly rich sort of history and commu modding community and indie game developer community around it. I know exactly one of the people we should invite. Um, his name is Feck, mm -hmm. F-E-K. Sorry, folks. I'm, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know what else that means. Um, and Feck makes these basically furry bondage video games, uh, one of which is named Rack. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of that, of Rack. I've wasted many hours on idle calls playing Rack, where you are given subjects who are secured to a rack that's the title of the game and you do various activities on them like milk them or e-stim them or you know use these fantasy potions on them to enlarge their genitals it's a really fun game and he's done so well that now it's his day job and he lives entirely off his patreon proceeds wow. yeah he's living the dream like to get the people from great bear studio who do the game strange flesh and that is sort of a retro arcade style um, beat em up, side scrolling beat em up. But there's huh. a heavy hypnosis component and sex component where um, to regain health or points, you essentially either dominate or have sex with the sprites and various NPCs. Huh. And depending on the amount of points you get for like sex, dominance, that changes the ending you get. Yes. Really? Like two endings and it's one got, secret ending. It's got, so it's, I love the fact that it's adaptive, that you're, it's kind of like Mass Effect. Your choices matter in the long run, yeah, up until fantastic. the third game. So, yeah, if any of the audience go check out Strange Flesh. Um, it's free to play, free to download, but I do recommend you give them a cash tip. They have a tipping like PayPal link on the site for the download. Please do that. It's good manners. But yeah, check it out. Yeah, and if you want to check out any effects games, um, just look for Feck, F-E-K, on Patreon. He will definitely stand out. Um, so yeah, I think we should bring it to a close there, because it's almost one in the morning here for me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's about uh, five here, so it's time for me to start thinking about dinner. So yes, obviously, as I said before, we have a Gmail, we have our Facebook group, we have our Twitter. Um, if you want to contact me personally, I am bootbackcub on bear.community on the Mastodon server. Uh, we have a Discord now. <laughs> uh, please join our patron. Uh, thanks again to Matthew O'Mara for being our first £5 tier patron. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to find me over on Mastodon, um, and you can find me as at Arzer, that's A-R-Z-H-U-R, on bear.community. I mean, I've been quite happy with that new server. It's um, like the guy running it puts a lot of effort into making sure it's friendly and welcoming. So, like, I really appreciate that. 
Yeah, and I, I like it as well. The, the main reason I haven't been around is just because, you know, life is what happens when you're making other plans. But I should probably get back to hanging out there some more because Mastodon is always a lot of fun and you meet the best people oh, yeah. on there. It's not a nightmare of just Trump said this and this homophobic group did this. And, like, there's none of that sort of shit on there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I deleted my Twitter. It was just so much negative input to my brain. It was it, not worth it. Same for Facebook. Yeah. Like, if I didn't have to run um, sort of two or three, uh, like, sort of business pages on there, I would have left Facebook by now. So, yeah. Well, you know, the irony is I quit it just in time for my employers to start using it internally. <laughs> oh, there you go. And on that depressing note, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Pride, Pride everyone. Happy Pride Month, everyone. <laughs> on, on behalf of both of us, have a, a great night, and we look forward to you tuning in to us again. Take care and play safe.